0: Everyone voted and said they needed to cut announcements and let me speak longer. So thank you for that wonderful vote, Christy. I know you chaired the vote on that, and uh, Chad has some announcements for you guys afterwards. I want to welcome you. My name is Ryan Grable, and I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, We are so glad that you're here today, and... um, don't worry, I won't keep you that long. Uh, I know it's hot today, but um, just we're, just so you know if you're new or, or visiting or even if it's been a while since you've been here, uh, we are in the book of Acts right now. We're doing a very comprehensive series on the book of Acts. We are taking our time going through it today. We're going to enter into chapter 8. Uh, there's only 20 more chapters to go. And, and we're going to work our way through it. Uh, I, I got to be honest, today is probably one of <clears throat> one of my top two uh, uh, characters uh, in this uh, book of Acts, especially an introduction of a character. I, we don't see him very long. It's like Stephen last week, um, which we spent a couple weeks looking at Stephen. Um, he was brief. But it was powerful uh, what he brought to the story in Acts. It was powerful what he brought to the church. And at the end of the day, if you haven't heard that sermon, I would suggest you go back and really listen to it. Because we get to see what a person who is full of faith, bold in in their faith, unashamed of their faith, and, and, and not worried about the pressures around him, even... From his leaders, he was bold, and he stood for what he believed in. I read this quote from A.W. Tozer, and I really liked it, and I want to read it to you. It's about the book of Acts, and he said, "In the book of Acts, faith was for each believer a beginning, not an end. It was a journey, not a bed in which to lie waiting for the days of our Lord's triumph." I love that. It's a beginning not an end. This is the moment when we start, and Acts shows us that. It wasn't that they became believers and they were good, and one day they will be in heaven and it will be wonderful. Believing was not a once-and-done act. It was more than an act. It was an attitude of heart and mind which inspired and enabled the believers to take up his cross and follow the Lamb soever he went. I think that's a fantastic way to think about the book of Acts and why Acts is a great example for us as a church and why we must remind ourselves that we are still in the the church age continuing the work that was founded by these um, really essentially founders and leading the way for us and examples for us. Now, I know that that, that none of us in this room may be not now or have faced a trial over your faith. And then at the end, even though you were justified, you were unjustly tried. I know that has not happened. I don't assume it has happened. Like we've said, it happens all over the world. Millions of Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Millions are. And all it would take is for them to just say, I recant. I, 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 I disavow. I, I am no longer a believer. All, it's all it would take, but they do not. They persist. Because they believe something, something that we believe so deeply and so strongly. And it's worth fighting for. And every day we passionately pursue God. is a day that you honor these people all around the world who are fighting and standing up for their faith like Stephen did. He was a man of faith. He stood for his faith. He taught really in a beautiful sermon. It's really weird uh, to give a sermon on someone else's sermon. I don't know if you know that. It's, it's really weird to try to do it justice. But what he did was so good for all of us as an example when we're speaking of Scripture. It, he, he laid out so clearly the history of salvation that led to this moment. When people want to know, does God really care about them? You can share the history of salvation that God planned for this world in the moment of Jesus. When people wonder, where has God been? Why has he abandoned me? You can share the beauty of salvation history from the beginning in the fall through Moses, right? All the way through Joshua. I mean, you name it, all the way through the prophets, David, all the way to Jesus. God has had his plan in place. And we are the recipients of That salvation, all of scripture, Stephen was saying, is about this moment. But what Stephen did, like we said last week, is then he began to turn the accusation upon them about how they're missing it. They're blind. They've been waiting for something, but when it arrived, they killed him. And he put the accusation back on them. They did not like it, and they stoned him. When stoning, historically, they wouldn't just take you and throw stones at you. They didn't have them on the ready where you're like, they took him out of the city, threw him traditionally over a cliff. If that did not kill him, they would pick up stones and then throw them until he died. This was a grueling death, but he stood for something, something that we now live in freedom for today. I got to read this because today's passage, when we get into this great evangelist, through pain and suffering, something happens that fulfills what jesus said in matthew 28 through great pain it's in matthew 28 18 and jesus said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold I will be with you to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter where you go, no matter how dark it is or how bleak it looks, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Pain does something interesting. You know, some people love pain. I was talking to my son the other day and we were talking about some certain pains. And I just, I, I, I just like, I don't mind certain pain. like, But if I have an internal pain, I j- do you know what I'm talking about? Where you start to wonder, am I dying? Do you know that pain? But it's really just like a headache, and then you go get an MRI. I haven't done these things, kind of. And so you just you get a little worked up. but I, like, there's some pain that you can tolerate. But what happens here in the church is a pain that's hard, but what God does with that pain is beautiful. I was talking to a, a lot of my different friends who kind of had, in some ways, have become very apathetic about their faith. But something about the pandemic, do you know what I'm talking about? Something about just all the pain and trial and suffering. Something about the confusion that goes on in the world. Something about the the, the voices here, there, and everywhere. Something about the tension and the fighting and the struggle. Something about the, the the values of that we so used to hold so deeply, it felt like, are kind of going up. You know what I'm talking about? That pain, I, it's so interesting. Some of my very, very close friends are saying some of the most spiritual things I've ever heard. They're like, man, man, we, we, we really got to make sure we get to what, what our beliefs are. And I'm like, hello, who are you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where did this come from? I love it. Sometimes pain, in a way, will reinforce what we believe or will drive us to go do more than we ever thought. Pain is not necessarily always a bad thing. Let's pray and let's get started. God, we thank you so much for the example of Stephen. We thank you so much for what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. They did. And even though it took pain to do it, God, here we are today. And God, I just ask that today in in our context, in our world, we don't necessarily run and hide And shy back when it becomes difficult, God. But then we see it as an opportunity to grow and also to go and share good news with others, God. That all is not lost. You say you will be with us to the end of the age. And you have given us your spirit that gives joy, peace, and life. And so, God, that as we as believers can stand tall and knowing that we are in your good and capable hands and that the world is waiting for us to arrive at a doorstep. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message The Evangelist. If you want to think about the way this, this works and about this evangelist, his mentality is this, all people, all places. It doesn't matter where he's at, who he's with. He is always going to be Wherever he is at sharing the gospel, he will always have the gospel ready. He is locked, and he is loaded, and he is always ready. I think this is such an inspiring story and an inspiring character. But, you know, when I, when I looked up the definition, which I know the definition of an evangelist, but I wanted to see when other people look it up and they go, what is an evangelist? I was kind of like cringed by what I read. University of Cambridge has their definition, and the definition was probably the most cringeworthy to me. It was this. Someone who tried to persuade another toward their religion. And I was just like, I didn't like the way it was phrased. It just kind of made me feel gross. And I thought, that's not evangelism. And then I looked up Webster's Dictionary, and I was just looking up the definition in multiple different ones and just trying to find out, what exactly is an evangelist? Because I know Apple even has a whole division called their evangelists. So this cannot be something that we can just accept widely of what an evangelist is. And I think it's manipulated, and I think it's distorted, the term evangelist. When I, I'm gonna, Can I just give you my own definition I wrote? Yeah. The, 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 the Dictionary of Ryan Grable? Not very full, but it's, this is one of them. I was looking through Acts, and I was thinking, what is an evangelist? And I was studying this character, and I was thinking, what is an evangelist? And here is my definition of evangelist based on the book of Acts. A proclaimer of the gospel with the hope that unbelievers will respond to the Spirit's call to salvation in Christ. Meaning the Spirit is doing His work. You, 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 Right? Who said that's good? Thank you. Amen. That the Spirit is doing His work. Right, Tilly? Okay, And He is moving on the hearts and has moved on the hearts of every single one of us. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't even be here right now. And so He is doing His evangelistic work, if you will, speaking to your heart, leading you to a moment, and hopefully leading a believer to your doorstep or into your life. But it's the person who's willing to proclaim the gospel. And so you know what I did when I wrote this definition? I realized that not one Christian who proclaims to be a Christian is off the hook of evangelism. There are in the Bible, there are gifts of evangelism, and I know that. But when it comes to someone willing to proclaim the gospel to an unbeliever from whom the Spirit has been leading towards salvation, that puts us all accountable as an evangelist. So let me set the stage here for our character. The, the stage is this, is that these believers who had this wonderful life, they were selling their goods and they were helping each other and they were pointing leaders. And, and the city was kind of erupting with thousands of people coming to know Jesus. It was I mean, if you, could, if you could have a beautiful place to live, this is what was happening. Everyone's like, hi, how are you, John? Good, praise God. Do you need anything? No, Well, I do. Well, here you go. Like, wow. But then pain comes. A disruption comes. What happens is ultimately God's believers fulfilling that Matthew verse through pain, though. They are exiled to the world. If you are a believer, and particularly one like Philip, who is our character, and Stephen, you are not welcome in this city. And so they are exiled into the world. There's a mass migration to go. And it it disrupts their living, and they have to then move into areas they never thought they would move into. They have to be neighbors with people they never wanted to be neighbors with. Do you know what I'm talking about? They didn't like these people, but now they're with these people. This is the best thing that could have ever happened. Acts one, we'll start in verse three. Sorry, Acts eight, verse one. Saul, who we're going to talk about next week, Saul approved of this of his execution, Stephen's, and there arose that day almost like a mob. Do you ever see a mob where one person goes crazy, and next thing you know, the whole mob goes crazy? And people are running along going, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing, but let's break windows. Like, What is going on? This is what's happening here. A great persecution against the church in Jerusalem happened. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria where they never wanted to be. Tradition was that if you crossed over into Samaritan land, you would have to then, before you crossed over into Judean land, you would have to go like this. And leave that Samaritan dust on their land. This is how they thought of them. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> when I first moved to California, some of the homegrown longtime Californians would say, Oh, you're from the Midwest? Oh, so is there a lot of cows there? I'm like, please stop. We have cities. Have you heard of Detroit? Beautiful place, right? So there are things like that. Like where I'm just like, wait, what why are you saying? This like to me, this way, it was almost like a little of a different mentality towards me. Now I say it, no. <laughs> but they're scattered throughout the area, right? They, 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 they went to places they never thought they would go. They used to leave the dust in that land, and now they live there. This is God's plan. Breaking down walls. right? Crushing stereotypes. This is the banner of a believer. I always talk with my other pastor friends who are planting all over the city. And the number one thing, actually the first thing that unites us is that we are believers. And that lets us have a doorway into each other's lives to understand each other. There is nothing like the banner of Christ to unite people and to bring people groups together that never would have been together. I don't care if you're a Republican. There are Republicans who won't talk to other Republicans because of where they live or or the context that they're in. It's not the same or a Democrat. It doesn't matter. None of that's the same. It's the banner of who Jesus is that unites people and brings people together. And this is what happens. Verse two, then the devoted men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. These are people who are not Christians. They probably were not allowed to bury him. These are people who Stephen was once in the synagogue with who saw this great injustice most likely. But listen to this. But Saul ravaging the church, meaning he's ripping it apart. Entering house after house, dragging off men and women. That's new. And committing them to prison. He is determined to stop this virus. And this is how Saul sees it, who will then later become Paul. I'm going to stop this infection from growing, and I will do it violently and viciously. You know what's funny about that? All over the world, regimes are trying to stop the growth of religions, and and, and, in a lot of cases, Christians. And they will do it violently and viciously. But do you know what? The Bible says that we're not in a physical war with one another. This is why we shouldn't hate one another. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a battle that we are fighting on God's side. And so no regime understands. Paul, Saul didn't understand. He was ignorant to what God was doing, and he didn't realize he couldn't stop God's work, but he tried. But in this moment, it's really where Philip shines. Philip is this great figure. And he rises and shines because he had some attributes we're going to look at today. And it's, it's wherever he went, the gospel was proclaimed and he was breaking down walls and he didn't care where he went. He didn't care who he was talking to. But we're going to look at a, key, a few key attributes of Christian evangelism from Philip. I believe these can be adopted and practiced in our life. We're just going to read his. Philip doesn't give these points. We can just see them, how they translate from the story. But the first thing Philip does, the first thing a Christian evangelist does, is they listen and they obey. And we're going to see it right here. A believer must listen and obey God. They must listen for what God is leading them to do. And they must then rise and go. Evangelism is following the Holy Spirit's lead. It's being open and saying, God, what what do you want from me today? And then who is it or what is it? And he will lead you. We'll look at Acts 26 through 40. We'll read through it and go uh, through it a little bit. Acts 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south because he's evangelizing in Samaria. Now he's got to go somewhere else, rise and go to the south. The road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, these are, these are not necessarily hugely important, but this is a desert place. And he rose and he went. I, I love that. The angel of the Lord, it's kind of a big deal. When the angel of the Lord shows up, you, what the Bible is indicating here is that this is a very big deal. God wants this mission to be done. So the angel of the Lord rises up, and God is sanctioning this mission. And this is why it's so important, because Philip is going to do something that's going to break the minds of a lot of people, and he's going to encounter someone that will really frustrate some people who have walls and biases. And so the angel of the Lord sanctions this and says, you need to go. And he went and he rose. This is clearly the planning of God, but we, you will find this out. And whether you have found this out yet or not, that God doesn't usually give us the whole plan when he is leading us. It's usually one step. Do you, do you have kids or, 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 or maybe experienced this before I can go to one of my kids and my plan is like, you know what, they've been talking about this thing that they really want. And so I want to get them in the car and I want to take them and I want to surprise them. Have you ever done this? This is a huge mistake. So I'm like, hey, get in the car. They feel like I'm kidnapping them. Like they feel like, why? Why, 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 why? And I'm like, just get in the car. Where where are you taking me? It's like becomes this whole deal. I'm like, just get in the car, I'll show you. Well, where are we going? Well, don't worry about that. Like, you're going to be safe, right? I'm not selling you, right? It's going to be safe, and it's, you're going to like it. Well, how will I like it? Well, how long are we going to be gone? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? This is insane. See, I think we're like this with God a little bit. We want to know it all. But I think if you knew it all, you wouldn't go anyways. I think it's hard. Sometimes, that's just our fault. That's not God's. I think sometimes if God was to give us the whole plan of what we're going to do and what we were going to have to go through to finally get to where he really wants us to be at, I think a lot of times we're like, you know what, I was done after step two. I don't really want to do that. So God does lead us one step at a time. But the most important thing you can do as a believer is to just take that first step. It's taking the first step. You're never going to get it all. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where he gives it all. He didn't give it to Moses, he didn't give it to the disciples, and he's not giving it to Philip. He's just saying, go, and he goes. And so I just think that we have to remember to listen and then obey. So that's one of the first attributes of a great evangelist, I think, or of a Christian evangelist. I think everyone, the everyone mentality is what we start to see in Philip. Not everybody was on board with the everyone mentality. And then let me explain the everyone mentality. It means to, when Jesus says to go to all nations, it means all nations. Guess what? The translation of all in the Bible means all. There's nothing unique about it. All people. All places. It's not just our own group. Although that's where we should start. You know, it it can be really frustrating when someone only wants to do missionary work somewhere else where no one knows them and they have no reputation whatsoever. And then they go and do the work there and they come back and then they're watching their friends and family around them grow, not knowing anything about them, the relationship with God or the gospel. And they just go, well, I just don't want to feel weird. So he says, all places, all things, not just your own context, not just people who look like you, not just people who travel in your circles, all people, all places being ready for all things. John 3.16 is very interesting. I bet you can quote it. I bet you can quote it. It's like on people's shirts, you know what I mean? It's like on people's eyes when they play football and all that stuff. But if you read the book, if you read John 3.16, especially read through verse 20, Here's what you're going to find. You're going to find the word world, the world, six times. God's talking about something big, so God so loved the world, right? You're going to find whosoever, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, whosoever believes. You're going to find that four times, and you're going to find everyone one time. Essentially, God is not messing around. He's saying all places, all things, all people, whosoever. So everyone mentality. Let's get into it. Verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. I'll explain this in a minute. Queen of, uh, of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So God tells him, get up from this huge work that's happening in Samaria, wall broken down already. And then I want you to go to this obscure place, and there's a guide there in a chariot, a person who you probably had never seen before, from a culture and a region you had never experienced, in a status that you have never engaged. And I want you to go to that person, and I want you to talk to them. Now in Rome, we'll just work through this, Ethiopian, in Rome, Ethiopia was considered the ends of the earth. As far as the Roman Empire, the outskirts of the Roman Empire was called the ends of the earth. And so when we see to the ends of the earth, we see this literally happening, beginning to happen right here that God orchestrated. He's... Of dark skin. He looks different than Philip. He's a different culture. And he has, in some cases in their country, different gods. But not this guy. Tradition goes all the way back to Solomon. When Queen Sheba comes and visits Solomon. That they came back with Solomon's God. And began to practice Judaism there. This is probably why he is a convert now. And so... We see that, first of all, as someone way out of his realm. And then we see that he's a eunuch. Now, a eunuch is someone who had been castrated. And In antiquity, most people of royalty, if they were going to let someone, a male, be around their bride, the king, or be around their harem of which they had, they would castrate the men. And so he was born in, into a life that he was going to be castrated. He had probably had no choice. This is probably what had happened to him. And this is why he was the queen's treasurer. He was trusted. So he is someone in Philip's religion and practice that he wasn't allowed to engage in temple practices because he was a eunuch. He wasn't allowed to enter even into the temple courts because of his, of, of his status and stature. And who, it being a eunuch. He wasn't allowed to engage in the way. So here we go. Walls are beginning to fall down. I love it that the first Gentile convert is probably one of the most extreme Gentile converts. It's just who God is. He doesn't mess around. And so he is a court official. He's way above Philip's status. He's intimidating. I've, I've seen people when somebody has money in a lot of it, in their their status, or they have a status in the city, or status something. When they come in the room, I can tell people's posture changes of like, oh, here's a very important person. I will become small because they are big. Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't do that. But it happens. And, and, and Philip is like, no, I don't care about that. I know the king of kings. And he is of this queen, this Candace is a long line of a dynasty. It's like a The term Pharaoh or Caesar is not a person. It's actually a line of 28 different queens in this long line. So it's a huge dynasty. It's very intimidating. But he had come to worship. He had come all the way to Jerusalem. Now, do you know where this guy came from? About 1,500 miles away. I was considering, we're flying home to Michigan, and we were considering driving at one point, which was really dumb, and it's 2,200 miles, and I'm in a car with highways, and there's, there's patrol, and if anything happens, and I got AAA, and, and it's a very, very safe journey. It, essentially, if we get there, as long as I stay awake while I'm driving, we can get there. There's hotels, there's food, it's easy. I don't even have to plan. There's gas to take this journey for this man was perilous it was dangerous he would have been robbed there were many checkpoints along the way this is a devout person who wants to know and wants to connect with God why wouldn't God send him to him I know some of you have that story where you want to really play a place where you really needed to you needed to know the truth you were seeking more you knew there was a purpose in life. You knew you were desperate. You were asking questions. You were Googling every religion and trying to find out which one worked for it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You were trying to find. You were asking questions. God will always bring someone that way. And so God brought someone his way. He had a scroll he was reading from, which was unusual. People didn't own them. In today's world, that's about $3,000. And he's walking around with it, reading it. This was a huge luxury. I don't even know if maybe Philip had seen one in the wild. But he didn't let any of that distract him. He didn't let any of it stop him. Boy, we can get so distracted. We can start saying these questions like, you know, uh, well, just don't get them. Let someone else do it. I don't know, we're, we're so different. I, I, I can't quite relate to them. Someone else will do that. But maybe God's ordaining something for you. Philip could have done this like, oh God, no. Oh, Let someone else do this. I am way out of my league. But not when you have the spirit and not when you have the truth. It's not out of your league. Not at all. And so sp- Philip has this one listen and obey, but every one mentality and so God tells them the next step right which was to go and find this man a good evangelist does this and this is we are in a world where people don't do this enough he asks good questions he's listening and he asks really good questions and he asks a very good question here a good evangelist is an observant believer they're an effective witness when you're an observant believer, seeing someone, their context, their life, their journey, their story. Am I right, Tilly? Is that not true? We're just gonna, I'm going to talk right to you. It is when you really actually listen to someone. Boy, we do not live in a world where people are listening. They're not listening. They're just shouting and talking. And, 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 I, and you can tell because a lot of people will just want to be in a conversation and talk about themselves. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got that. Cool. Do you know anything about me? I've literally been in long relationships where I literally, the person does not know anything about me. And I'm shocked. I'm like, do, do you know my middle name? No. Do you know, like, I have four kids? Like It's wild. A good believer, I think a good effective witness asks good questions, they're observant. And I like this phrase I read once. It was said this, and I think this should be a mantra, is observe and then serve. Observe and then serve. Listen to what is being said. Listen to what is needed. Are you answering questions to people that they're not even asking? I think a lot of Christians feel they need to do it when they're like, oh, I'm going through such a hard time. And and, and it's right away like, well, if you just had Jesus, your life would be great. And I'm like, that's not true. (laughs) Don't do that. Listen. Observe. And this is what Philip does. Listen to Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is a very basic value of a believer is don't just look to yourself look to the interest of others and so you ask good questions when you have an interest in others and here we go the spirit said to philip another step go over to the chariot so philip ran to hear him reading isaiah the prophet and asked do you understand what you're reading what a great question and in antiquity, you didn't read silently to yourself. No one ever did. They only read aloud. We do this now. But back then, he was hearing him read publicly, because that's what they did when they read aloud. And he said, "How can I unless someone guides me?" And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, "How can I unless someone guides me?" So he's very humble. Here's a random stranger. I don't recommend this. Don't pull over and let a random stranger in your car. I'm just saying, here's a random stranger who is of nowhere near the status of this person. This is his humility. And all he did was observe and ask a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no. Can you help me? And he did. This is the beauty of asking good questions because he was not just willing to just fire hose him he was wanting to engage and understand him here we have a person seeking the truth here we have a person asking for a help from a stranger and here we have a holy spirit ordained moment the holy spirit really really wants to stir things up i don't know if you've figured this out yet he really doesn't like us to be too comfortable he really doesn't want us to be stagnant and in our bubbles. He really wants to shake things up because there's so much more when we do it. And we open ourselves up for that. I would say this for good questions, this part. Pray for these moments. Pray for them. God, bring a moment like that for me. I'll be ready. I'll be willing. I want to be available. Pray for those moments. So let me read the thir- verse 32, which is which he's reading in Isaiah. It says, now of this scripture that he was reading was, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. I think we now can assume what he's saying. And like a lamb before it shears, its shears is silent, and so he opens not his mouth. Verse 33 In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. This is Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And so he is reading this, and he is going, who is he talking about? He actually asked the question, to whom is he, is he talking about? He asks, is he talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? Now, this eunuch, all throughout Isaiah, if you read Isaiah, there is mentions of eunuchs one day having generations of their own, but spiritual generations. So I, there's no doubt in my mind why he picked Isaiah's scroll. Because there was something there that spoke to him. There was something about an outsider having what was taken from him. There was something about someone who was, had injustice and has, doesn't get to live the life everybody else gets to live. And he's reading and he's probably going, what does this mean? I resonate with it, but I don't know. He was probably in Jerusalem and heard a lot about maybe who this Messiah was. This wasn't far after the crucifixion. So something stirring in him. And man, oh man, Philip is right there to answer his questions, to disciple him, which is the next quality of a great evangelist or a Christian evangelist, which I think is all of us, is to understand scripture. You know, he could could have read from any verse in the Bible, and someone who knows the salvation history can point to how it points to Jesus. He could have picked anywhere, but this is where he's at. He's describing Jesus. His suffering on the cross, how he remained silent and humble. I think this is important, and I think it's important to know what the Bible says. Listen, I know from a lot of people that the Bible is hard. Sometimes when you open it up, you're just like, blah, 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 word I understand, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember when I first became a Christian, I was like, who reads this? Like, and I had a King James Version, much more difficult. I don't, these and thou's, I didn't even like Shakespeare. So like this was like very hard for me. And the Bible can come across, I think, in that way, and very much like this unit going, what does this mean? And so we need to be a part of a community that will instruct and train and teach what it means. I wrote this question down, and so I want to read it in its entirety so we can maybe think about it for ourselves. Is if your identity is rooted in Christ, which I would say all of us have, it is, and we live our lives following Him, which I'm hoping that we all do, why wouldn't we dedicate our lives to knowing the Scriptures? Why wouldn't I dedicate my life to this thing that directs me, that I'm in being informed through, through my prayer life, through the Spirit? I don't have a relationship with the Bible. I have a relationship with God, but he's given a scripture to guide and instruct and enlighten. But why wouldn't I dedicate my life to that? You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a pastor. You you, you have to have, a, 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 I think, a passion to learn about scripture because it's the most important thing in our lives it's 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 investment priority i wrote this down and tell me if this is maybe how you prioritize your life i'm thinking that i this i'm trying to think how i prioritize my life faith these are f's by the way if you couldn't guess faith family friends fun and function meaning what i do I think a lot of people get these things mixed up. I am what I do. And that, 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 that's fine. I love that you're passionate about it. But it's not who you are. Well, I am, I am, I am what I look like. No no no, no, that's, no, no, no that, that's what you look like, but that's not who you are. There's so many different things that we want to place as primary thing that, that is our priority of what we put our identity in. But if it's faith, then we should give everything we got to know what the Bible says. We should. It's top priority. And then in that faith, it probably most likely will inform the rest of your priorities. So let's go on. He understands scripture. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now what he does, this scripture, there is five other Old Testament verses that also prophesy what he's reading from Isaiah. There are seven, you know, at a good just glance, seven moments that Jesus fulfills this Prophecy and speaks of this prophecy in Isaiah about suffering and injustice and in humility, not speaking out against, but this is the plan of God, right? So all of this is there, and he begins to enlighten him on it because he knows it. So he understands scripture. This is a great attribute of an evangelist. If you don't know scripture, don't understand it quite yet, take time and learn. We'll help you do it. Chad's leading the class like he did this morning to help know more about Scripture. Make sure you're investing in what we're learning at church and reading the Bible on your own. The Spirit will speak to you through it. The the last two were really quick, recognizing the moment. He didn't let the moment pass. The guy is resonating with him. He's like, I like this, Jesus. I like this. I identify. Are you sure I'm okay to be this believer? But I think that we move where the change is happening, and I'll move with you. It's like somebody who's like, I want to go to church, but I, there's this church by my house. I'll go to that church with you for a while. I'll be with you. I want to be baptized. Well, let's go down to the water. Don't I need, like, the pope? No, you're good. Well, we can baptize you. Verse 36. And when they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Good question. There isn't. And he commanded that the chariot stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip and the eunuch, he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. We don't know exactly what that means, so we won't speculate. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So we know there was a transformation happening here. This man went home, and he brought the gospel home. He came home a changed person. You know, when the early church fathers and within the, even within the third and fourth century were writing about this situation, they were writing about this man's story. It was known he had come home, and he began to share and evangelize the gospel. Whoever was there, but what I what I love is this: is that by three fifty A.D., Ethiopia was probably if one of the first, if not the first, that its whole nation had been captured by Christianity in a way, that it became their state religion so fast. This guy came home with the truth and began to share it. You guys know how many Christians are in Ethiopia today? There are 74 million Christians in Ethiopia today. That is massive. It is, I think, within the top 10 of charts of a population that as believers, they had a massive impact. The last thing is he recognized the moment. The last thing is, is that wasn't the end for Philip. And I I don't know how else to say this, but all paths gospel for Philip. Everywhere he went, he laid groundwork for the apostles to later come and minister because he was preaching the gospel. But Philip found himself... At, uh, Azot, at Azotus, which is uh, Ashdod, which is an ancient Philistine city. And he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And Caesarea is this booming population. Pontius Pilate, remember the guy in Jesus' trial? He lived there, right? Beautiful Roman city. It, it, it was innovative in every single way. And it was a perfect place for Philip to set up camp and a home base for the apostles to minister We won't see Philip. This is what's weird about Acts. We won't see Philip until chapter 21, 20 years later. Philip has got some girls. They got some gifts. And he helps Paul in staying with him in his mission. Philip was a guy who lived the gospel. He was just an administrator. Remember this. He's not an apostle. He was just someone who said, hey, Uh, let's distribute the food this way and this way. So we cannot say that we're not special or or that the apostles are the only ones who could do that. Philip was just an administrator, just like Stephen. He was just a believer. The people actually elected Philip to oversee the food and distribution. It wasn't even elected by the apostles or sanctioned by God. He was just a believer who believed. And I think we discount ourselves a lot, but we have people like Philip who remind us that God has called all of us to be evangelists. There are no walls for Philip. There are no hang-ups with Philip. He was willing. He was ready to go to proclaim and teach the gospel and disciple. That's a believer. I know I'm just straight up going after this, but I just got to be straight. Here's my agenda. My agenda is to reveal who this person was, and these attributes don't just fall on the special. They're in every single believer. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go out on the street corners. What I'm saying is, in every moment, can we just be mindful of the gospel and be listening and be willing to obey? If God is speaking to us, where you'll be like, okay, God, I don't know why you wanted me to wait longer here, but if it's you, God, I'm going to take the first step. What's wrong with that? Okay, God. I don't know why, but I just, you know, I, I just need to take this second step. I don't know why, God, but you know, I just need to learn to listen more and hear what people are saying and hear the questions that they are asking, not the ones they're not. I don't know why, God, but you know, I I need to find more learning about the scripture. I need to be discipled. I, I just need to be. I need to be ready and willing. I need to understand scripture. I need to recognize moments when they're happening. I need to be all past gospel. I don't know where God's going to take you. I don't know your everyday routine. But I'm sure that God is ordaining and orchestrating. And he's hoping you will do it. I know if Philip didn't do it, God was going to send someone else to do it. Let's not let that happen to us. I want to be the one to go. And we all need to be the ones to go. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for Th- characters like Philip who are, are this beautiful example as someone who was just, just a regular believer like us, God, but stood in faith and was not afraid, had joy to bring. Everywhere Philip went, joy broke out in the city and in lives, God. I pray that that be us. And God, I ask that our church, people within our church, feel your leading in these times especially, God, where it might feel hard, it might feel difficult to proclaim the gospel, to walk under the banner of Christ as a free person, but God, that you break down walls in our lives. God, you, let, you help us get past all of this distractions. Oh, they don't look like me, or oh, they don't come from the same place, or we didn't grow up the same way. God, that we just, be, we just get right through all of those, and we go right to the very heart of what you're trying to do, which is someone... Who you've been working on, waiting to hear the mouth of a believer share the gospel. Thank you, God, for examples like this. Thank you, God, for examples like Stephen, that there's nothing to be ashamed of about being a believer, that we stand tall because we have truth and we have faith. And so, God, we love you and we thank you. Help us be the church that goes outside our city walls and goes into the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.